Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. As you're seated, I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We continue our study on spiritual warfare. Last week, we looked at the adversary, Satan himself, and today we look at the battlefield, the battlefield in spiritual warfare. I'd like to call your attention to this one picture here and see if you can relate. When I was a kid, it was uh, Goofy or Pluto. Nowadays, it's Homer Simpson. That really, that depiction there, believe it or not, is pretty accurate. There is this battlefield that goes on in every person's life. Everyone who's ever walked, breathed, has sensed this one voice saying, do this, and another voice saying, do that. Well, that's the battle that rages in the life of every person. And we're going to look today at that battlefield, specifically how God relates that in that. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the body, that's, that's flesh, in the flesh and blood, though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And this is important. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Not only does Paul describe the battlefield, he describes a little bit how we're to fight that war. Hold that place in 2 Corinthians 10 and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We looked at these last week and specifically we're going to make application of these verses. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone, anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. We're going to focus in on verse 9 today. Last week, we looked at verse 8. Our adversary, the devil, is stalking us. Verse 9 says, we're to resist him and be firm in the faith. Paul says in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, what we're to do is we're to take captive every thought. I told the early crowd this morning that I have six sermons to preach today. And rest assured, I got through all six of them. But that was the early service I had to because I was watching the clock. Uh, We'll be all right today. Let's look at this battlefield. First of all, number one, what is the battlefield in spiritual warfare? Clearly, it is our thought life. The battlefield is our thought life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, I am to take captive every thought and place it under the obedience of Christ. Listen to what Robert Don Hughes says about this battle. See if you can't relate. I know the voice within me well. I've heard it all my life. It's not my conscience speaking, although it deals with the same subject matter. It is rather a counter conscience, cynical, Mocking, irreverent, which is all too often persuasive. It seeks always to give me permission to do evil. It taunts me, 
calling me names that hurt me, names that have had power over me since childhood, and it criticizes me constantly. A never-ending stream of cynical, personality-targeted satire that leaves me angry, defensive, and depressed. Oh, I know the voice well. I hear it daily. Do you? Well, I'd answer Robert Hughes, yes, I hear it daily. That same voice, that voice of the enemy speaking to me, attacking me. Well, that's the battlefield, our thought life. Let's move quickly to the next statement. What is the enemy's strategy in that battle? The enemy's strategy, clearly, is to attack my mind. Satan himself has put himself up against God, and he has moved into the, the world, and his strategy is to attack the mind of believers. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says that I'm not to be conformed to this age, but I'm to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. What does that mean? That means that God is saying in one more place in Scripture that the mind is the battlefield. If I am to live a godly life in Christ, if I am to live a victorious life, there is a battle raging in my mind, and that mind needs to be transformed so that God can use it for His glory. By the way, you know there are no new lies. There are no new attacks, new strategies that Satan has. He's been doing that since the Garden of Eden when he said to Eve, Eve, this is really what's going on. Doesn't God really know about you? And isn't he trying to hold you back from something good? And, and those lies come. That's where he attacked Eve in the mind. And anytime we allow those, those thoughts, those false beliefs to go unchecked, they get lodged in our mind and they become not just a, a stronghold, but they, they become a stranglehold on our life. So let's look at the enemy's ammunition, the heart of what we want to say today. What is the enemy's ammunition? We've already said it, but say, let's write it down, okay? He whispers lies. Satan is called the father, remember we saw this last week, the father of lies. Is it any wonder that the father of lies would have his number one strategy is to lie to you and to lie to me? You've heard the thing that kids say, we said it all the time when I was growing up, Six sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Words will never hurt me. That's a lie. That's a lie. I don't know who started that one. Wait, maybe I think I do know who started that one. Those words, whether they're spoken by a parent or spoken by a sibling, or maybe you speak them, words hurt. Well, I, I just guarantee you from Scripture that Satan knows that words hurt. And he knows that he can destroy if he can just continue to whisper lies to us. So let's look at, and you'd be happy I narrowed it down to six lies. The list is much longer. But I tried to focus on some lies that I believe paralyze unbelievers, paralyze Christians, and keep us from counting for the kingdom of God as he desires. Number one, lie number one. You must meet certain standards in order to feel good about yourself. Satan whispers in my ear, Kevin, there's a standard you have to meet in order for you to feel good about yourself. It's what Robert McGee calls the performance trap. Where, where I have this, this whispered lie in my mind that I can never be what I need to be unless I meet expectations of someone else. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter if it's your parent. Doesn't matter if it's your own expectations. Doesn't matter if you can be real spiritual and say, well, God has this standard. Yeah, he does, but I tell you what, he doesn't demand that you meet that standard. That's what the cross is all about. That's what Jesus, that's why he died, because God said, yes, the, the standard is holiness. Nobody can meet that. Just, just rest in the fact that the cross took care of that. Don't listen to that lie. 
In order for you to feel good about yourself, you have to perform for someone. Line number two, you're worthless. Why would God worry about you? You're worthless. Tell you what, folks, the more people I talk to, the more I see that this lie is is predominant in lives of believers. I'm worthless. I find it often in people who don't know Christ and, and that's their struggle. I'm worthless. Why would God think about me? Here's a lie from the enemy. You're worthless. Why would God worry about you? That ancient lie. You're inadequate. You're unimportant. You're unnecessary. You're valueless. You hear that lie? You're a moron. You're an idiot. You'll never amount to anything. It's a lie from the enemy. There's a book in the Bible called Philemon. Basically, it's a letter of recommendation. There's a runaway slave called Onesimus, and and he has taken some money and fled to Rome to to get lost in Rome. And through the circumstances of God's, God's sovereignty, Onesimus comes to Christ and becomes a helper of Paul. And so Paul writes back to Philemon and basically says, I want you to take this one whose name, by the way, means useful. I want you to take this one who was once useless in your life, a slave who stole from you and ran from you. I want you to take him back because now he is useful for me and for the kingdom. And I thought, what a great picture of what God does for us. He takes those who were considered of nothing, of uselessness, and makes them useful for his glory. See, Satan whispers in your ear, who cares? You'll never amount to anything. He wants to know from the word of God, there's a resounding God cares. Listen, if you were worthless, why would God send his precious one and only son to die on a cross, to pay back, to redeem you, so that you can have fellowship with God? We may be unworthy of his love, but we're not worthless. You are special. You are, you are a prized possession of God that he, would, that he would bring you in and call you one of his own and that you could call him Abba, Father. You're worthless. What a lie from Satan. There's that shame game. I am what I am. I cannot change. I'm hopeless. I'm worthless. Those are lies from the pits of hell. See, God's response to that is the cross. God's response is, you don't have to feel the guilt and the weight of your sin anymore. By the way, there's a difference in guilt and conviction of sin. Did you know that? Guilt is this this overwhelming sense that, that you're bad and something's gone wrong and you can't fix it. Conviction of sin is this sense from the Holy Spirit of God speaking to your heart about a specific sin. See, Satan always accuses in generalities. God always convicts in specifics. See, Satan says, you're a terrible father. You're a lousy wife. You're a terrible parent. And you hear that lie, and you feel the shame that comes from that. You can do nothing about that. God's Holy Spirit comes with specifics, and he might say to a father, those words you just spoke to your child in anger, those were wrong. You can respond to that, can't you? You can say, God, forgive me for what I just said. And you can go to your kids and say, forgive me. Satan whispers this lie in the the mind of a mother. You're a terrible mom and she can't do anything about that. 
But God's Holy Spirit instead might speak to a mother and say, you need to make this, this time with your child a priority. You've been neglecting them. You can do something about that. So be careful about that guilt, that weight of guilt that Satan just keeps heaping on you. Remember we said last week, every time Satan reminds you of your past, what do you remind him of? His future. You're worthless. That's a lie from Satan. Lie number three. This is a big one, folks. Satan uses this to keep people from coming to Christ. Lie number three. Not even God could forgive what you did. Have you heard that one? Yeah, you hear the choir sing about grace and the congregation sing about my chains are gone, I've been set free, but not me. I've been so bad, if they knew what I had done, well, God knows what you've done. And he loves you. Satan whispers that lie in your brain, in your thought life. Not even God could forgive me. I tell you what, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. It is a free gift that you receive. God's forgiveness. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, this is a short list. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Paul, as he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, chose to use these sins. But, folks, you could plug any sin in. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom, God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually, sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, nor thieves, greedy people... Drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, or God's kingdom. In other words, he's saying any person who has not repented of those things is showing evidence that they've never trusted God and they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 11. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know what Paul says there to the church at Corinth? You guys, some of you had messed it up big time. But God's grace is bigger than your mess. Some of you have messed it up big time. But God's grace is bigger than that mess. Don't fall victim of the lie that God cannot forgive you. Don't fall victim of the lie that says, I'm unworthy and I should die with the, with the penalty and punishment of my sin. That's what Satan wants you to believe. But Christ went to the cross to pay the price for your sin. He took care of it. He forgave you. Scripture is full of demonstrations of people who were sinful and wicked. He'd take a prostitute named Rahab and use her to be the one who helped the children of Israel get in the land, who helped the spies. He'd take a man named David. Look at David's resume. King. Adulterer. Liar. Murderer. And ultimately use him and call him a man after God's own heart. God forgives. Don't listen to that lie from Satan that no matter what you've, no matter how good God is, Satan says, he couldn't forgive that. Yes, he can. There is no sin so great that the blood of Christ cannot cleanse it. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I paraphrase that? When you're forgiven and you've trusted Christ, your sin has been wiped clean. You're not condemned anymore. Lie number three. 
Not even God could forgive you for what you did. That's a lie. Number four, you can't make a difference, so why try? You can't make a difference, so why try? Now, I believe many of us as followers of Christ fall victim to this lie because we, we get to a difficult place in ministry. Maybe a pastor of a church, maybe a, a deacon, a Sunday school connection class teacher, a small group leader, maybe somebody involved in ministry, and you just get to that place where you struggle and you don't see any fruit, and the enemy starts to say, you're not making any difference. Give up. Why try? There are empty seats in here this morning. Some of those seats used to be filled over the years by people who were faithful, but they heard this lie. You can't make a difference. Just give up. Check out. During World War II, the Japanese and Germans both took over radio stations and broadcast music out in the South Pacific and in Europe, and they played the music that our soldiers used to listen to back home, the Benny Goodman and all that stuff. And they played that music on those radio stations, and periodically they would break into the, to the music and say something like this, Americans, you are already defeated. Just throw in the towel and give up. Now, the Americans weren't anywhere near being defeated. And giving up was the last thing they needed to do. But that's the way the enemy works. He just wants to get you distracted. And listen to this lie like I can't make a difference in anybody's life. See, Satan wants to wreck the kingdom. And if he can do it by pull, getting you isolated, like we said last week, and pull back and give up, he'll do it. A lot of people stop doing ministry not because they've, they've been hurt, not because of whatever reason. They just step back from ministry because they've heard this lie. You're not making a difference. Why try? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He also wrote in Philippians that it is God who is at work in you to accomplish his will and purpose. Lie number five. Another one believers fall victim to. God is not able to keep his promises. So you'd better help him out. Have you heard that lie? God is not able to keep his promises, so you had better help him out. I've even heard people say that the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. I've never found that in scripture. Sounds good though, doesn't it? Lies sound good. We can get in the place in our Christian walk where we feel like God has called us to something, whether it's to a ministry or it's to a, maybe to be faithful in a relationship or whatever, and things don't go too well, and we decide to step in and help God out. A church makes a commitment to build debt-free, and they get almost up to the place where it's time to build, and they don't have all the money, so the church decides, well, let's help God out and go borrow the money. That's just one illustration of how that works. I look at the Bible, Abram and Sarah, Sarai, before she, they had this experience with God. And God says to Abram, I'm going to make you a, a father of a great nation. And through that nation, the, the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And I'm going to give you an heir. And, and so Abram and Sarai were excited about that. And they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. I think it's about a decade goes by and they finally decide, you know what? God hasn't come through for us. Let's help him out. So they get this idea. You know, we've got Hagar, this handmaid, this, this uh, 
made, why don't you just take her and, and maybe she can give you that child and Abram, it'll be you with her. So, it, it, you know, that's kind of what God meant, right? We know the story, don't we? Hagar and Ishmael is born and, and uh, short-circuiting what God had planned to do. Christian, don't, don't short-circuit what God wants to do. If he's promised something in his word, he'll be faithful. You don't have to get in and fix it. I need to move on. Line number six. Are you ready for this one? Lie number six. Aren't you glad you're so mature? Don't you wish everybody was? Christian, have you heard that one? You're so spiritually mature. Don't you wish everybody was as mature as you are? You know, if, if they could just be committed like I am. Hey, what's wrong with folks in this church? They're just not committed. Be careful. There's going to come a day if there hasn't already been a day when somebody could say the same thing about you. What you're saying is they're not committed to what you think is important, so there's something wrong with them. Be careful. In Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee shows up at the temple and he stands up and he, he looks around and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. The Bible goes on to say the one who was justified was that tax collector who showed up and not that religious, arrogant, self-righteous Pharisee. Folks, it's subtle. A church can grow and good things can happen and lives can be changed and, and those of us who are part of that begin to think the reason that's happening is because of our, our commitment to Christ and, and it would be better if everybody else was just like us. Aren't you glad you're so mature? Don't you wish everybody was? It's a lie. Be careful. Well, that's six of the lies. Only six. I bet you could add to that list. But let's look at the believer's weapon. Number four, the believer's weapon. Because I'm tired of talking about lies. It can get kind of depressing, can it? You go through how Satan just loves to whisper in your ear. Well, let's look at the believer's weapon, which is the word of God. Psychiatrists and psychologists and scientists and philosophers and sociologists throughout throughout time have been trying to figure out how you fix that, that voice telling you that stuff and the other voice. How do you fix it? It's right here, folks. It's called the Word of God. And, and I, don't, I do not listen. Listen. I do not want to be the person who gives you the spiritual Jesus answer. You know that one? Oh, just trust God and it'll be all right. It's not what I'm saying. Lots of folks trust God and struggle. Here's what I'm saying, though. The truth is here in the Word. And, and if, I, if I'm going to combat a lie, what's the best way to combat a lie? With the truth. Where do I find the truth about who I am? Where do I find the truth about how I'm to respond to life? Where do I find the truth about, about my desires and my struggles? I'm to find it in the truth, in the Word of God. So let's start there. Three, three things we're to do. And I said this morning earlier that they're simple, but they're not simplistic. They're simple in the sense that if I would just understand these three... 
and apply and appropriate them, I can have victory over these lies. Letter A, the first thing we need to do is recognize the lies of the enemy. Recognize the lies of the enemy. Paul says in in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I am to take captive every thought, every high-minded thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Paul also writes in Colossians, I'm to be careful that no one takes me captive through the man's philosophy and the empty words that are out there. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's some things that, are, uh, that a natural person can discern and only some things that a spiritual person can, concern, can discern. Let me just, just draw this or, or, or really emphasize this truth. For me to recognize the lies of the enemy, I have to rely on God's Holy Spirit to reveal them to me. Because folks, the lies sound good. If you don't believe me, just listen to politicians. You know, you can speak a lie so well and so eloquently and so often that it sounds like the truth. And you begin to wonder what is right. You go to the Word of God. Let God's Holy Spirit show you. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to give you my comforter, my counselor, the Spirit, and he will teach you all things. Reveal to you, remember the things that I've taught you. God's Holy Spirit has to show me what the lies are. And I have to become a student of the Word of God. Listen, if you want to combat the lies of Satan, the whispered lies, you can't do it on Sunday morning from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock. Are you with me? You can't say, boy, I sure hope the pastor says something today that addresses that lie or that helps me understand it. This is good. We're supposed to do this. I'm glad you're here. But it goes beyond this. It comes to the point where you would say, I'm going to become a student of the word of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, I'm to be diligent to study, to show myself approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, who can rightly divide the word of truth. You have to know the word of God. Let God's Holy Spirit speak to your heart as he takes the word, the truth, and lines it up against the the lies of the enemy. Recognize the lie. Number two, reject those lies. Reject those specific false beliefs that the enemy is pounding in your brain. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 5, resist him, the Satan, and he will, he, will, he will flee from you. Resist him and be firm in the faith, Peter says. I have to reject the lie. No, this is not name it, claim it. This is not, uh, I speak against the lie that I'm worthless and I speak it out and it's done. You may have to do that, but that's not really what we're talking about here. To reject it means I identify it as a lie, and I say, God, I'm not going to believe that about myself anymore. And that's not enough to say, I'm not going to believe that. You know what happens? When you say, I'm not going to believe that, you're going to keep thinking about it. You have to replace the lie with truth. If, if, my, if my lie that I believe is, I can never be forgiven for what I've done, I have to find scripture that says to me, I can be forgiven for what I've done. I go to Romans, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I go to 1 John, that that says if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And when the enemy says, Kevin, you can't be forgiven for that, I go right back to the truth of the word of God. To reject it, I have to know God's word, to resist and stand firm. And that's letter C. I replace those false beliefs with God's truth. Replacing the false beliefs with God's truth. 
Let the Spirit of God direct you to the truth of His Word. And you can't find it unless you spend time in the Word. I don't know what your Bible looks like, but, but my Bible has highlights and circles and lines in them. And much of what is in there is, is not so it can be a great sermon. There are a few of those in there. This one will preach, that one will preach. Most of what's highlighted and underlined is when God's Holy Spirit has spoken truth into my life. And, and, and it's, Kevin, you need to ha- get a handle on that one. Because that's truth. And that needs to be applied in your life. Replace the lies with truth. Hebrews chapter 4 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Paul wrote that this is, truth is profitable for instruction and in righteousness, for training, for correction, for reproof, rebuking, so the man of God can walk the walk that we're called to. I need to replace the lies with the truth of the word of God. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes these words. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Think of what are the these things? The word. So, pastor, I don't memorize scripture. I'm sorry. I really am. It's not easy for me. If you can't memorize it, write it down and stick it on your mirror or on your dashboard or on your refrigerator or on your dinner table, and read it. There have been times in my life where I've carried in my pocket spiritual truths that I needed to combat the lies of the enemy. And when the enemy started speaking, whispering lies in my ear, I took out that card and I read it. Oh yeah, God, this is what you said about that lie. And I replaced that stronghold that Satan is trying to get in my brain with the truth of the word of God. I'm renewing my mind. As Paul says, I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Adrian Rogers said, if you have a Bible that's falling apart, your life probably isn't. Alexander the Great, one of the great battle strategists of history, took over much of the known world at at the time of his life, did some psychological warfare. Whenever Alexander's army would be outnumbered, and it was very rare that that happened, but it happened on occasion, And his army would be outnumbered by a larger army, and they would have to retreat a little bit. And that larger army would pursue them, more numbers coming after them. Alexander the Great instructed his soldiers to drop helmets and swords and shields and spears that had been manufactured to make it look like they came from giants. Helmets that were much bigger than a normal head. Shields that were much taller than the average man. Swords that were so big and heavy, it would have to be a large, almost a giant to carry those. And as the pursuing army is coming after Alexander, they're running across these helmets. And these shields and these swords, and they're going, oh my goodness. You know what happened? Those armies would stop pursuing and fall back. Because of the distortion, which is a lie, that Alexander's army was bigger than it was. Folks, that's the way the enemy works. He wants to distort and deceive so that you become demoralized and you give up the fight. Don't give up. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, one of the fathers of the Reformation. 
don't know how much you know about him, but he was a, a hero of the faith, but he had a difficult life. He was a tormented man. 1527 was one of those very difficult years for him. Dizzy spells that forced him to stop preaching. Sickness that kept him from studying like he wanted to. Friends turning their back on him. As he tried to push forward in the Reformation, criticism and critiques coming at him from all sides. And finally, kind of the icing on the cake or the straw that broke the camel's back, a plague broke out in Wittenberg and he had to open up his home to be a hospital and people with plague came in and, and his son became ill to that and he was at the bottom. He was at that place where he couldn't see through all that and he wrote these words. He said, the only comfort against raging Satan is that we have God's word. Can I, can I paraphrase? The only thing that's going to make me see through all these lies is the truth of the word of God. And sometime at the end of that year, after making that statement, Luther penned these words to one of my favorite hymns. Although this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth, his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Folks, my challenge to us today is replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of the word of God. Pray with me.